Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. We hope that these messages encourage and inspire you in your personal journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. <clears throat> the, um, I always feel like, I mean, I always really want to come to a Sunday morning when I speak, feeling like I've heard from the Lord, and, uh, and usually, I, usually I do, sometimes I wonder, but usually I do. But today I really feel like, I really feel like God has a word for us. And so um, I really hope that you will be able to, I hope I'll be able to communicate and you will be able to connect with the message. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, uh, well, all the way through verse 16. This is Jesus talking, and this is the Sermon on the Mount. He is addressing disciples. And I think it's important for us to remember that. This isn't just generic He's talking to followers. These are people who have come to him. They are his disciples. And so we are his disciples. And so he's saying to us, right? I mean, we're his disciples. You're his disciple, right? So we, we, he's saying this to us. So hear what he says to us. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. <clears throat> Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Father, I pray you'd help me today to be able to communicate what I believe you've put on my heart. I pray that you'd help us to hear what you want to say to us. I pray that we would not just hear it, but we would let it work deep into our hearts so that it can bring about a change and, and productivity in our lives. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> So first of all, I just want to mention that Jesus, when he was speaking at this occasion, he was, I don't know how many people he was addressing. I do know this, that by the end of his three and a half years of ministry, the Bible says that he appeared to 500 people at one time. So by the end of his ministry, he had obviously at least 500 solid disciples. I don't know how solid they were because only 120 of them wound up waiting for the promise of the Father. So we, we could say maybe he had 120 solid disciples by the time he uh, ascended. So in three and a half years' time, he had at least 120 solid disciples. I mean, that, that's three and a half years' worth of work, and he has 120 solid disciples. We know he had 70 disciples that he entrusted to send out and do ministry. Two by two, he sent them out to heal the sick, preach the kingdom, to cast out demons. So he had 70 people at least that he entrusted to actually empower to do ministry. But he actually spent most of his time with 12 people. So somewhere, so this number of people I know is more than 12 because from these disciples, he chose the 12 apostles. 
So, so he has, this number of people is somewhere between 12 and 500. Everybody with me on that? I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. So this, this number of people that he's talking to is somewhere between 12 and 500. Not very many people. It's also, they're also, he was a carpenter by trade. So he was a tradesman. Most of the people that he called that followed him were basically working class Jews, right? I mean, he may have had some upper class, and that kind of sounds weird, upper class. He may have had some that were maybe from a richer background, perhaps. He may have had some that were even from a poorer background. That's definitely possible. But they were pretty much just working class Jews. They lived in, most of them lived in Galilee, which was kind of like the, the other side of Israel, it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't the good side of Israel. It was, it was the northern part. And Jerusalem and Judea, that's kind of like where it's happening. But this, these are from Galilee. And, and they, were, they were in a province on the fringes of the Roman Empire. So you have the picture. 12 to 500, somewhere in that number, working class Jews in this far-flung fringes of the Roman Empire. And Jesus is telling them, you're the salt, excuse me, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Well, in 300 years, that little group of people of common working class Jews had become, had been so salty and had shined so brightly that they became the official religion of the Roman Empire. Now think about it. The Roman Empire stretched from Spain, and it depends on how they were doing with Parthia, but over past Israel, <clears throat> when I say they were on the fringes, they were on the fringes. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and yet, they, and all down across North Africa, all the way up through Europe, and Christianity, although it began with that little group of people, had been embraced as the official religion of the Roman Empire. Now, some people would say that was the worst thing that ever happened to Christianity, and I do agree to some extent that I, I think there were some very negative things that came out of it becoming the official religion. But the point is, the point is, when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world, they evidently took it seriously. And in 300 years, they had so infiltrated, in a good way, that the Roman Empire embraced them as its official religion. So I think that's very powerful. And I think it's something that we probably need to think about. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about how dark today is, but I think most of us are pretty aware that today is pretty dark. I think the pandemic alone has, it has affected the psyche of our nation. We, we just aren't the same. It has affected how we view life. It's affected how we view getting together. It's affected everything. It's affected all of life. There's uh, not to mention the other things happening in our nation, the political turmoil. There, I, I mean, I'm 65 years old. I know I don't look it, but I am 65 years old. So, and I've never seen, I shouldn't have said that, my apologies. But, um, but uh, 
I've never seen it like it is today, the, the political turmoil that we're, we're experiencing in our country. Um, there's, there's renewed racial tension that's taking place in our nation. And it, and it's just, it just feels like a dark time. And, and I feel like this is a word from the Lord to us because when Jesus was talking to those few disciples, they were just a handful of nobodies. And they infiltrated and they salted and they lighted the world. And God is calling us. He's saying to us, we're disciples. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are. And I noticed that Jesus didn't say that you salt the earth and you light the world. He said you are the salt. You are the light. And to me, that's a big difference. It's a matter of the fact of who we are, of what we are. In John chapter 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Speaking, of course, about Jesus, because we know verse 14 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. Now get this, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And as Leona brought out a couple of weeks ago in her message, that word comprehend could really be easily and probably better translated overcome. The darkness did not overcome the light. Now, I don't, I'm going to throw you a curveball this morning. But when we read that, we always think of Jesus being the light. And he is the light. In John chapter something, it says, he says, I, but he says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I wish I could remember the scripture. I'm sorry that I forgot it. But while I am in the while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Well, what about when he's not in the world? Right? While I'm in the world, he said, I am the light of the world. But what about when he's not in the world? We are the light of the world. And so when, when we read this in John chapter 1, it says, In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. What is the light here? Well, it just got done saying that Jesus, the life in Jesus is the light of men. And the light shines in darkness. So I know that's going to mess with us because we think, well, no, 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 that's got to be talking about Jesus. But that's not exactly what it says. What it actually says is the life in Jesus was the light in man, mankind. And the light shines in darkness. And so I would say that we are the light that shines in the darkness that the darkness cannot overcome. You with me on that? Yeah. The darkness. We, we, what are we? We are amazing creatures. In the same chapter, John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, it says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, 
Now notice this, how, how it phrases this, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. They were born of God. So we, we are people who were born literally by the Spirit of God. How do I get that across? How do I get it across to myself? Who are we? What are we? We, we are amazing people. We are not, when, when, we, when we walk out into the world, we are not mere flesh and blood. I know if you cut us, we'll bleed. I know we get sick. I know we get hungry. But we are not just flesh and blood. Amen. We are people born of the Spirit of God. We are people that shine brightly with the light of God's glory. We are people that salt the earth. In James chapter 1, I love that passage in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 27, I think it is, where it says to be doers of the word, not hearers only. And then, in fact, I'm going to go and read it, I just think, real quickly. It says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man. Now, notice how this goes. Like a man observing himself his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. What is that saying to us? I know I've mentioned this before, and my apologies for repeating myself, but for, for many, many years, I looked at that from a negative perspective. I looked at it as if I looked in the mirror and I realized by the word of God that I was a mess. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like on a natural level, I looked in the mirror and my hair is disheveled and I need to be shaved and, and you know, I just, I'm just a mess and I just walk away and I forget that that's how I looked and I go out in the world think I'm, uh, thinking I look fine. That's how I always interpreted that passage of Scripture. And then it dawned on me. Actually, a young man shared it with me one day, and I thought, wow, he is so right. That actually, it is completely the opposite. What it is saying is, I look into the perfect law of liberty, and I realize what kind of person I am. I am born of the Spirit of God. I am accepted in the Beloved. I am a part of God's family. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. I am a powerful being. And I walk out, I look in the mirror, I look in the Word of God, I think, whoa, that's who I am. And I walk out into the world, and, and it's not an arrogant thing, it's not a prideful thing, but I realize that's who I am. And I am lighting the world around me. I am salting the earth around me. You see that? Yeah. So Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And we look in the word of God, we need to remember who we are. Yeah. We need to remember what we are. He says, you are the salt of the earth. And then he adds, actually in both of these, both of these analogies, I don't know what to call them, metaphors, he, he warns us against losing it. He says, you're the salt of the earth, but be careful that you don't become unsalty. 
Be careful that you don't become unsalty. Because if you're unsalty, how, and I think when it says, how shall it be seasoned, it's talking about the earth. How will the earth be seasoned? If you become unsalty, what's, what hope does the earth have? You've lost your saltiness. What does that mean to lose our saltiness? I think it means to lose the vibrancy of our Christian faith. It means to lose possibly even our Christian character. It means to lose the dynamic of the Holy Spirit in our life. And we're just kind of sailing through life without the energy of the Spirit. And then he said, you are the light of the world. He uses the analogy of a city on a hill. You, you, you can't miss it. There it is. But then he says this. He says, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. You are the light of the world. We are light in this dark world. You are the light. And without you, there is no light. And when Jesus said they don't put it under a basket, he's not talking about trying to Right? He's not even talking about trying to shine brighter. Because you are light of the world. Jesus, while he was in the world, was the light. Now you're in the world, and you are the light. But what he is talking about is not hiding the light, not covering it, but positioning it in such a way that it shines brightly in the world around us. That's what this is about. So I want you to focus on that for a moment. You are the light. We're probably to stop and pray. God, help us get it that we are the light. And he's saying, don't hide the light. Don't cover it up. Position it so that it can shine brightly into the world around you. So how do we do that? How do we cover it and how do we position it to shine brightly? Well, I think if we talk about how we position it to shine brightly, that'll probably help us understand the opposite of that is how we cover it. So the first way we position it to shine brightly in the world is to engage with the world. When Jesus called Levi in John in Luke chapter 5, if I can find it real quickly, Luke chapter 5, he called Levi, or also Matthew, and he um, went to his house to eat. Listen to the story. He saw Levi, he said, follow me. So he rose and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And the scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus was called a friend of sinners. He was called a wine-bibber. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but he was called a wine-bibber. <laughs> I mean, he... He, because he hung out with the non-Christians. Yeah. Jesus answered, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. If doctors all just hung out with doctors, <laughs> that would not make any difference in the world. But they, they hang out with sick people, right? They engage with sick people. 
because their goal is to get them well. The same thing happened in Luke 19 when, he, when Zacchaeus, remember that little song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He went up in the sycamore tree and he's looking at Jesus and Jesus stops and says, Zacchaeus, come down. And I'm going to your house for tea. Anyhow, that's how the song goes. But uh, so, so Jesus went to Zacchaeus's house and the very same thing happened. The Pharisees, the religious people, Religious people. I don't know if you know it, but we are religious people. And we have to constantly work at not being religious. But the religious people, once again, criticize Jesus for going to Zacchaeus' house. But that's how Jesus did it. He hung out with the sinners. He engaged the world. So I think... We need to figure out how we're going to engage the world, how we're going to be a part of the world. I mean, I've fussed about this, and my students at college are sick and tired of hearing of it, but, but I, I have for several months been really struggling because I realize I get up every morning, I go and I teach at a Bible college, I work in an office full of Christian people, I come home to a Christian wife, we don't really go anywhere because we're homebodies, and if we have any choice, we'll be at home. That's where we're going to be. And so I don't really engage with anybody. And I, I mean, I just, I've been troubled about it for several months now. It's just been troubling me. Well, the Lord has helped me see that, well, I do go to the grocery store so I can be light at the grocery store. I do go to the dry cleaners. I can be light at the dry cleaners. I do go get gas, but, you know, you just put your card in the pump and you, just, you don't really see anybody at the gas station, so that, that doesn't count. But at least I can start being light there. I've got some other ideas that I'm working on, but, but, but we've got to learn to engage the world. I, most of you work in secular jobs. In fact, I actually feel envious of you. Because every single day, you get to engage with the world. Come on. Every single day, you get to get up and go to a place and let your light shine. Every single day, you get to go to a place and salt the earth. Every single day, you get to do that. That's amazing. It's amazing. You, you have that opportunity so I know probably most of you think, well, it'd be great if I could just work at the church all the time, but you actually have a wonderful opportunity of ministry that, that I don't have. You can have it. We need to learn to engage with the world. Well, Jesus also said in verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father in heaven. So when you're reading the scriptures, <clears throat> you, you, try, you get it all contextually. And so you see the progression that's taking place here. And the progression is, let your light so shine that they see your good works. And so it seems to me that good works are how my light shines. You with me on that? I'll give you a minute to think about it. <laughs> Let your light so shine that people see your good works. And because of your good works, they glorify the Father. 
So I see the good works as being one way that we position the light to shine. So what are the good works? Well, I'm going to challenge us today. Jesus, when in Matthew chapter 15, verses 30 through 31, it says, Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at the feet of Jesus' feet. And he, his miracles that Jesus has done, and they glorified God. They glorified God. What were the good works? Healing the sick, casting out demons. In Matthew 9, the very same thing, he healed a paralytic, and it says they glorified God. In Acts chapter 4, when the disciples, not Jesus, the disciples were going up to the, in chapter 3, they're going up to the temple to pray, and they healed a lame man. And in chapter 4, it says the multitude, the, the crowd in the temple glorified God. Jesus said in John chapter 14, 12, you guys with me? In John 14, 12, this is a verse that none of us believe. It's just the truth. Nobody, no one, we all think Jesus was lying. He said, the same works that I do, you will do. And even greater shall you do because I'm going to the Father. And in context, going to the Father, he was going to send us the Holy Spirit. And in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we are going to do the same works as Jesus and even greater. I told you, no one believes it. <laughs> yeah. But that's what he said. Jesus said that. So I think that we need to recapture faith for the miraculous. We need to recapture faith for the miraculous. I feel like, and it could just be me, but I feel like we've grown complacent. Well, partly it's because of so many disappointments. Let's just be honest. We've prayed for people. Nothing seems to have happened. We just get disappointed, so we just quit trying. But God, Jesus said, you shall do the same works and greater because I go to my Father and I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's anointing you to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to cast out demons. The Holy Spirit's anointing you to do those things. And so I pray that God will help us recapture that. That that, because that is one of the works that we do that causes our light to shine. Amen? So I think that, let me just talk about that for a minute. I, when I first entered the ministry, I was greatly influenced and affected by Pastor Jack Hayford. Some of you have heard of him. He's, he's an old man now, but I think many of you probably have still heard of him. And he pastored at that time a very, very dynamic church, Church on the Way in Van Nuys, California. Very, very powerful church. And he, and I've been to many conferences where he spoke. I've been in small pastoral settings where he taught and I've heard him speak a lot, and I've read a lot of his books. And 
He, he talked about the fact that they, they trained their people in his church to, to just be instant in praying for people out in the community. So if someone had a need, their response was to immediately say, I'm so sorry to hear that. Do you mind if I pray with you? And then they would just pray with them. He kind of set that up because in his church, even though it had thousands of people in his church, every single service they had what they called prayer circles, and they would gather in circles and pray, for, and made a lot of people uncomfortable, a lot of four-square churches. He's four First of all, let me push pause. There are some people in this church that have the gift of gifts of healings. There are people in this church that have those gifts. How do I know that? Well, because the Bible says that God distributes, the Holy Spirit distributes them so that the whole body can be edified and ministered to. And so there's not a, I, my personal conviction is there's not a single body of believers, legitimate body of believers that doesn't have every single one of the gifts resident there within. Yeah. That in this church, we have people with gifts of healings. We need you to step up. <laughs> we need you to, I mean, I just think people are intimidated by that. They feel like, I can't say I have the gift of healing. That seems arrogant. It's the Holy Spirit in you, gifting you to pray for the sick and to heal them. Pray for the sick, start praying for them. Start laying hands on them for healings. So there are those of you in this church that have gifts of healings. That, that is, I, I know that's true. Okay, push unpause. Now let's come back to all of us. Mark says that those who believe will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So there, there are those that are specially gifted, but every single one of us who believes have been commissioned to lay hands on the sick and then they will recover. Are you guys with me on that? And so that is a work that we can do that causes our light to shine brightly. That is a way that we can position ourselves so that the light can shine. I just think that as we go through our day and you, you, you're just talking to a coworker and they, they start sharing this terrible story of things that are happening in their family and things they're going through. If you would just say, I'm so sorry to hear that. Do you mind if I pray with you? And just pray. Don't wait for them to say, okay, just pray. No, just, you can wait for them. In fact, let me tell you this. In all my years as a pastor and as a Christian, I can remember, I can definitely remember one person who said, no, I don't want you to pray for me. It seems like there was a second one, but I can't remember who and where. So, but one for sure. In all these years of saying, can I pray with you? I've only ever had one that I can remember for sure who said, no, I don't want you to pray. And so I didn't. The, the, the point is, if you ask someone to pray, they are probably going to say, well, yes, pray for me. And, and chances are, when you get them praying, you're going to look up and you're going to see tears in their eyes. 
People are so touched when you pray for them. It is, I mean, it is a touching thing to have someone pray for you. Can you imagine if every single one of us, every single day are out there just praying for people? Our light will be shiny. We will be positioned to let, the, we, will, we won't have the light covered, we'll have it on a lampstand. And it will be shining into the world. In 1 Peter, we have another kind of light that shines. And um, if I can find 1 Peter real quickly. So I've got all these, I've got a lot of scriptures today. So I've got all these pieces of paper in my Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through verse 12, I think. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Well, I could push pause right there. That might be one way we shine is by re remembering that we're just pilgrims in this world, right? This really isn't our home. I think just remembering that would help us shine brightly, but just continue. As sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, we're, we're referring back to Matthew 5, 14, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God. So he says that they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. And I think if they're going to glorify God in the day of visitation, that probably means they've gotten saved because if they're, if they're not saved when they see God, they're not going to be glorified. Well, I guess they will. So strike that. But they, I, I think that possibility exists that they may have come to know Christ. Because of what? Because of their good works. What were their good works? Their good works were abstaining from fleshly lusts and conducting themselves honorably among the Gentiles. Abstaining from fleshly lusts and conducting themselves honorably not just honorably at home but honorably among the heathen <laughs> right among the heathen so what is peter saying we saw that good works involve doing the miraculous let me just say for a moment let me go back to that for a minute i hope that we'll just actually believe that we should be doing the miraculous yeah. That we should be praying for people right. routinely. <laughs> hey, can I pray for you? I'm, wow, I'm so sorry to hear that. May I pray with you, etc. Okay, moving on. So that's one way our, our, we work and our light shines. But another way is our holy lives. By living godly, honorable lives, our light shines Amen. so this this means for businessmen and women working men and women teachers homemakers medical personnel first responders whatever you are wherever you go among the gentiles among the heathen where you are where you work where you live 
that you are living a holy and honorable life. Now we're talking about being salt to the earth and light to the world. And you're just one person, right? You're just one person among how many billions? I forgot the count, a lot. You're just one person. But do you know that darkness cannot extinguish light? As long as there's light, it will be light. No matter how dark it gets, that light will still be light. You, one person, one person, but you are light. And where you work, you may be the only believer there. You are light. Your honorable life is light. Your holy life is light. And it causes people to glorify God. (laughs) It causes people to glorify God when they see your life. So we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. If we lose our saltiness, how will the earth be salted? How will it be preserved? I didn't even talk about what salt actually does. Salt obviously adds flavor, and it added flavor in Jesus' day. I'm sure they used it for cooking, just like we do today. But primarily, it was a preservative. It preserved from decay. It preserved from decay. You and I literally preserve the earth from decay. If we lose our saltiness, how will the earth be preserved? It won't. It won't. I'm just one person. Yeah, you're one person who is salt. Stay salty, right? Stay salty. You're one person who is light, and the darkness cannot overcome the light. No matter how dark it gets, light still shines. No matter how dark it gets. In fact, the darker it gets, the brighter the light seems. So God help us to realize in these pretty troubling times. And I know that every generation has its own trouble. I realize that. So regardless whether it's more troubling than the previous generations or not, the fact is we have our troubles. The world has its darkness. It has its points of decay. And we are the answer that it needs. We are the answer. You are the answer that the world needs. My hope today is this. In fact, one of the, one of the main things I feel like I want to do when I speak is to help you realize who you are. To help you real, and help me realize who we are. 
to help us realize what we are. That's one of my goals.